0: From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today Wes Dodge returns to the show to analyze and recap the latest legislative session.
1: I'm disappointed in the speaker's decisions on what bills to put in what order, because by choosing to put the most contentious bills at the top of the list, we end up having all the fights that we you see going on and on instead of doing what we really should be doing. I would like our legislators to wake up in the morning and think, how can I help the most people? How can I do the most good for the most people? And I'm not sure the first uh, bills that we saw that people were focusing on were trying to do the most good for the most people. We're talking about priorities, polarization, and
0: what to expect next year. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats, I'm Tom Noblock. Nebraska prides itself on its unicameral, which in theory reduces partisanship by forcing cooperation and moderation. That is, unless it doesn't. In the headlines from this year's legislative session, a common concern was whether partisanship had finally overtaken the body. Was this a breaking point? A sign of the future? Was it just a fluke year? It can be difficult to tell in a vacuum, so we have attorney Wes Dodge back on the show today to help parse through what happened, why it happened, and what it means for Nebraska going forward. Here is our conversation. So uh, the Unicameral, going really well I hear, uh, just smooth sailing these days, So exactly what George Norris hoped for, right? Yeah, exactly, it's <laughs>
1: going perfectly.
0: <laughs> so b- before we jump into the specifics, I want to start with a couple broader philosophical approaches to legislative priorities. So one school of uh, thinking about that would be maybe something that's utilitarian, right, to count everybody's interests equally, work toward greatest good for greatest number of people. What do you make of that as a legislative agenda?
1: I think that is what we should be doing, and you and I are on the same page. I I wrote some notes about what I'd like to talk about, and the first note I have is acrimony. You want to elaborate on acrimony? Well, I I think that uh, this last session a lot of people have focused on just the – uh, the 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 hot issues, the stuff that divides us, and I don't think unites us. Uh, uh, I'm disappointed in the speaker's uh, decisions on what bills to put in what order, because by choosing to put the most contentious bills at the top of the list, we end up having all the fights that we you see going on and on instead of doing what we really should be doing. I would like our legislators to wake up in the morning and think, how can I help the most people? How can I do the most good for the most people? And I'm not sure the first uh, bills that we saw that people were focusing on were trying to do the most good for the most people.
0: Right. Well, so another school would be majoritarianism, which is to say, Whichever faction wins the most seats uh, sets the agenda, and then party line really becomes what matters, not necessarily what's greatest for the greatest number of people. It's what's greatest for people within your party, right? So uh, would you say it's fair to say that that has been kind of the, the prevailing mode of priority setting in the legislature this year? I think so, yes. And... uh so that's not new. It's not like that's something that's so crazy, especially in a party system. Although I noticed that our local majoritarians tend to be uh, not particularly opposed to minoritarianism at a federal level. Like if, if, say, a Republican president does not win the popular vote, he still is thought to have a totally valid mandate, right? So we end up with kind of this weird mixture of party loyalty is kind of the, the it seems like, the the core of agenda setting, right? Which is fairly antithetical to the concept of having a unicameral. Yes, Uh, yes, I
1: agree. (laughs) But that's where we are. Why do you think that's the case? Um, I I think a lot of it has to do with outside money to some degree. Um, There was a bill that Raybold had offered uh, which was, um, I can't remember the number exactly, but it was to put limits on our, our campaign contributions and it was like $2,000. And and we are one of the worst three states in the whole United States for, for campaign contributions. So, for instance, the um, uh, Opportunity Scholarship Bill that, that passed, if you look at where the money came from uh, as far as donations to various legislators, uh, three or four that were big factors in that uh, got uh, around... Uh, from 30 to 50,000 each. The Royer's Caulth campaign, um, she only got like $54,000, but I think there was like 119,000 spent against Royer's uh, from this these out-of-state, well, it's a Betsy DeVos money, you know. So and she's got a vested interest in that. Uh, Linehan, who introduced the bill, her daughter runs the organization that, you know, supports that and to me it just looks a little a little shady you know and yeah. and it's like how much how much do i matter to uh kouth and she's she's my representative but she received fifty four thousand dollars from this organization and you know what do i matter to her yeah against that kind of of thing so i think to some degree the agenda is set by those people uh the party people uh if you watch nationally like marjorie taylor green when she makes a when she makes some sort of uh outrageous statement or create some sort of a, a event that people get excited about. Uh, I wish I could tell you the numbers right away, but I've seen, you know, she'll raise like $800,000 in 24 hours after she does something ridiculous. So, yeah. so
0: you're incentivized to be ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, to, to some degree. And, and I think that's a commentary on us to some degree that a lot of us feel that, that's what should drive us, the gotcha moments. I want to get you. I want to, I want to say something clever and embarrass you or whatever I can do to you know, grab the moment and, and be on social media or whatever.
0: Why, why is it that uh, this idea that being ridiculous or being entertaining, why, why do we have to sort of rewire our brains? Is it really that electoral politics is so easily uh, swayed by what's flashy, what's entertaining, that we can't get to a point of boring functionality?
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, so that's like an in-depth sociology, psychology question, right? And I don't know if I'm completely qualified to answer that. Or do you teach, um, oh, what's his name, Huxley? Um, yeah, Brave New World. Brave New World. Do you teach that? I have haven't taught it, that? But I
0: mean, it's it's the same idea, right? I mean, right. Then you, you can follow, I mean, the Huxley was then the basis of Neil Postman's amusing ourselves to death, right? We get to all these people who sort of said, this is a real problem and it's happening. And a lot of those people were writing before social media,
1: which really- In the 30s, it's impressive, yeah.
0: But then that was like, oh, television, this is crazy. People are going to amuse themselves to death. I don't know that he would even have comprehended Twitter at this point. And then that, I guess, to bring it back to the politics, though, if the the, uh, ecosystem of attention- is so structured around what gets clicks then that becomes kind of the way that politics runs and then you know every, on top of that you have everything being nationalized right like i think people struggle to think about sometimes what should a local priority be when you don't really have that much local journalism and it's hard to tell what are the local issues how do those differ from the national issues um
1: you think there should be different priorities nationally versus uh, at the state <laughs> I, think, I think at the state level, there should be priorities that are different than the national level because I don't think the national uh, government can necessarily understand what's going on at the state level. Um, but I think that one of the problems that we, we have is that because of the party influence and because of the money influence, those are national organizations that can get control over Congress people and things like that. So, they care about you in November and May, but they don't care about you the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. So, I think if you can fix, if we can fix our electoral system so that they have to care about you 12 months out of the year, then I, I think everything kind of takes care of itself. I hope so, but I'm, I'm, you and I have talked a couple times now. I think I'm a little more positive than, than you are in some of those regards. But. I, I, w- I wish I was more positive. It sounds nicer.
0: Um, mm-hmm. But, okay, so let, let's, again, before we get directly into the specifics of what happened here. So if we agree that utilitarianism makes some degree of sense as a set of priorities, what might a utilitarian agenda for the legislature have looked like?
1: Oh, um, well, That's even hard for me to answer. I I wish I I, it would be like reduction of taxes. It would be improvement of education. Um, It it would be uh, infrastructure and how we can make it better. Maybe how we can work work with the federal government to get money uh, to do things with with our health care systems, with broadband across the state, those kinds of things. All of those things are pretty boring. Right, but but we shifted to the the other things that were the the shiny object that gets people excited. So I I think that would be the agenda. And when you look at what we dealt with, we didn't deal with a lot of those kinds of things. Right. Uh, this last session.
0: And so, how new is that? Has the boring stuff been able to be the priority in the past, and this is relatively new to say the last five six years, or was it always this struggle?
1: Uh, I don't know where I've read it exactly. I think it kind of is the uh, the the. Contract for America era, mid '80s. Newt Gingrich. I don't remember when he did that, but if you look into it, uh, I think he like, he used to get on C-SPAN and he'd be the only person in the uh, the chamber, and he'd be he'd be on the air and he'd come up with some outrageous things and he'd be attacking people, and he'd be he'd be firing people up. I think you throw Rush Limbaugh in the mix. I can't remember when he jumped in full bore, mid-80s, uh, mid, mid 80s, yeah, around 1986, somewhere in that range. Uh, but when you talk that way, I, I don't think it's completely unique. I think we might be in a cycle because if you study history enough, you know Father Coughlin from mm-hmm. the 30s, I think it was. Uh, there was a, a whole uh, similar type of thing brewing just prior to World War II starting. Uh, where there's a lot of support for Hit I mean, uh, uh, Henry Ford and um, Lindbergh did mm-hmm. not have good histories. I mean, they were kind of pro-non-sympathizers and those kinds of things. And there's a lot of people in the media that supported their positions as well. So I, I think we go through cycles, and I, th- I think the thing that scares me is, is how um, – Small, Smaller media, smaller local media is going to have a harder time shining the light on things when they come up like this. Right. And I think that was somewhat of a cure. Uh, now, with with things falling apart, um, as far as local media is concerned, I I, I shuddered. Th- you know, I, f- I feel like we may be controlled by larger organizations uh, that are, you know, in places we don't even know about, you know, kind of the co Brothers type of philosophy of what what do we want to pursue? How do we pursue it? Who do we have to win? Right
0: to to do it. That's, this is a good example of uh, you being more optimistic than me because you're saying oh it's you know it's cyclical. We were in one of these before we got out of it, and the, this was the 30s right before World War II. So it, it's there's a way to say like well, that doesn't sound like a great uh, trajectory we're on, even if eventually it ends. Right?
1: Yeah, but. Um, uh, the, the positive things you see are ranked choice voting and open primary concepts are are really making advances. Even as we've been talking, which ranked choice is one of the first things I talked to you about. It's mm-hmm. it's been adopted. Um, I, I think it's in Oregon now. Uh, a lot more cities have adopted it. The more that happens, the more we get to a, a moderates getting elected. And the more moderates that get elected, or the people that aren't on the fringes of the right or the left, the more I think we're going to get focused on that agenda that helps everyone. And uh, I, I think as other people start to see other states or other jurisdictions do better, then they'll they'll follow that lead. So again, my optimism, but it is happening, and it's happening in a glacial way. Um, but if you if you also study the way things happen, let let's take. Uh, Uh, represent us likes to use this analogy, and they use several things, but for some reason, the only one I can remember is same-sex marriage. Uh, Back in the 70s, 80s, whatever, there's only like 3 to 5% of the population that supported that. And then uh, even in Nebraska, I I think we passed a ballot initiative before it was adopted nationally uh, against it. And, and, and then it skyrocketed. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are nationally exactly, but I think they're are 60, 70 percent or whatever. And even your libertarian types who are sometimes hard to deal with in this area, they're like, hey, leave people alone. Let them, let them do what they want. So I think if you just keep fighting the fight and then eventually you hit that tipping point where things improve.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Wes Dodge about takeaways from this year's turbulent legislative session in the unicameral. What do you want to see from the Unicameral in its next session? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. So did we hit a tipping point this year, maybe not towards improvement, but uh, toward something
1: worse that will have to eventually reach another tipping point toward improvement? In regard to the state legislature? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, uh, Megan Hunt has said she's pretty frustrated with the way things have gone down and the way she's been treated and that kind of thing. And she'll continue this filibuster technique of kind of slowing everything down. If she does that, there's going to be more animosity uh, from people. Uh, I'm hoping that we can just continue to educate everybody that if we elect people who, who don't feed into that on either end that uh, that maybe we can get those things to stop. Again, my optimism versus your pessimism. <laughs> uh. I don't I'll Try not to be pessimist. Maybe a little cynical. But okay. uh, anyway, so let's talk about the, the filibuster,
0: because that's if, if there's a word people probably associate with what happened, whether they know the details or not, it'd be that there was a filibuster that lasted for a long time. So maybe just uh, procedurally,
1: what is a filibuster in the unicameral? I, I honestly can't tell you the finer points about how it works in our state unicameral. we well, I would like to say we've all seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but we all haven't. But today the old concept of the filibuster on the national level is somebody takes the floor and they try to talk for until they collapse pretty much. And it's like we're going to slow things down and we're not going to let this happen. I think on the state level, you kind of get together with people and you just keep, keep making minor, minor motions or amendments or additions to existing legislation or you argue about rules and you just you just keep getting uh, three or five minutes or whatever it is and you just keep doing that over and over and over again. Uh, when you have people that are supportive of you, uh, they can jump in and take some of those uh, increments of time. In fact, when you watch it, I don't know how much you watched on TV, but they kind of get together and say, the four of us are going to take the next five so that... Uh, Senator X can go use the restroom mm-hmm. you know and then they come back and they they take it over again uh, Slama actually tried to filibuster the uh, the voter ID bill you know which which passed and a lot of people I shouldn't say a lot of people because it was uh it, the 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 vote said we should deal with it. But uh, there was a lot of people that weren't entirely supportive of that. And we got a bill that that kind of says you have to have voter ID, you have to have a picture, but it just kind of expanded how broad that could be. Slama didn't like it, so she did a filibuster. Uh, she did not have a lot of support, so she petered out pretty quickly. Even the people uh, on the right um, didn't, you know, there wasn't people jumping in and picking up those five-minute periods of time to give her a break, to interact with her, that kind of thing. So, Sometimes the message gets sent, I think, when you go too far one way or the other, too, even by the people in your own party.
0: But so as far as what what it does is you are taking up all of the time that would otherwise be spent on other bills or other proposals, whatever it might be. Correct. Or even other debates. Correct. And so in theory, you take up so much time that resistance starts to wane. And so people on the opposing party would say, I'd rather be doing something than continuing to filibuster for possibly forever, right? Correct. Okay, so let's talk about what what was filibustered, why was it filibustered?
1: Um it, it was the uh the um can't remember what the bill was called exactly, but it was uh for getting uh, uh, sex um, uh counseling and and hormones, you know, a physician's assistance in in a, a child who identifies with the op- other sex uh starting to, starting that process. That was Cal's bill. And it was um, banning all of that. Um, yes, yes. I, again, I don't know the real fine points of that, but in essence, it it kind of takes the parent's ability to be proactive in that regard away from them until the child reaches eighteen or nineteen, maybe. I don't uh, you until know, adulthood, the age of majority. Yeah.
0: And so this became uh, th- this became filibustered because it was something that the Democrats in the unicameral did not want to see pass, and so it was sort of. Uh, it was prioritized that this filibuster would be worth the amount of time that might have been spent on other bills, because if they could sink this one, that would be the greater good. Right? Yeah, I think there
1: was that one. There was the concealed carry uh, one, and then the school the school voucher one. I think all of those kind of had to take on some some filibusters. And, and yes, people that were against those things uh, slowed everything down. And I think the message was supposed to be, if we're going to deal with this, we're not going to get anything done. Let's deal with those utilitarian things that you and I talked about earlier, which means part of this is on the speaker because they set the agenda. And if the speaker chooses to put those kinds of things at the top of the agenda, and it, that would be an interesting question to ask if you get uh, people that are in the legislature, why, why did he choose to put these things at the top of the list? Why can't we get... 20 or 30 bills that that most people agree on passed and then we can start playing playing with these things that are that difficult. But,
0: well, so if you had to speculate, why do you think this was considered the agenda that was worth fighting the whole time?
1: I think of the, the money things that we talked about earlier. I, th- I think um, nationally, I mean when you look at this, it's a, it's similar bills. You can turn on the news and you can sit. Uh, Iowa's doing a special session. I don't know when it starts. It's very soon. It might be this week. I don't know uh, on the abortion issue. Uh, uh, that was triggered by the Supreme Court. But the trans issue, the trans uh, um, medication type of issues, those are everywhere. Uh, Tennessee, uh, uh, Utah, uh, the the governor actually vetoed it and they overruled rode his veto. It, it's all over. So it's when you talk about going national, that's what I really hate is because the parties – and, it, and it's it's the most outrageous of the parties and the people with the most money that support those outrageous positions put the money into it. And all of a sudden, they're the top agenda items in all the states. Right. And it's beca- I think it's because money has an undue influence on what we're doing here.
0: Right. Well, specifically, I don't know the exact numbers. Do you do you have any idea how many trans identifying people there are in Nebraska?
1: I don't. And I've actually asked people that are real strong on on that issue. I do know because uh the the Utah governor actually happened to be on Meet the Press yesterday and I watched it. Uh down there it was trans athletes. And I think it was uh I think he said it was 8. You right. know, in the whole state and there's like 85,000 kids competing. So it was eight out of 85,000 and only two or three of them were relevant. I mean that sounds a bad terminology but relevant as far as they could have an influence on an event or something like that you know because whatever and they have an advantage because of the way they're built or that yeah. kind of thing.
0: Well I mean, nationally the, the numbers of trans people in the country my understanding is it's the last uh, studies on this are we're looking at something like under a percentage point of the population And so when we think about that, uh, as far as Nebraska goes, to contrast it with utilitarianism, which is we're going to try to do the greatest good for the greatest number of people, focusing on such a small subset and then limiting their options feels like a very targeted, uh, specific approach uh, and kind of a a counterintuitive one if we're saying we want to impact the greatest number of Nebraskans, right? Because this is Mm -hmm. a pretty small portion of the population. Right. And so that just comes from, you think, money and this national agenda that's set by
1: whoever for the Republican Party, I, I do, okay. and and it fires people up. It's kind of like the Marjorie Taylor right. Greene thing I mentioned to you. I think when people get fired up about that, and and um, you know I'm I'm a. a Raised a Christian and consider myself a Christian, but I think white Christian nationalism is a big problem, and I think a lot of people identify with that kind of thing, too. I mean, that's not in the Bible. That's, you know, whatever. It's not supported by me biblically, so I will will go all in on it. Same with abortion, more so. You know, um, know, Biden probably goes to church more than three times a week, but uh, a lot of people consider him the devil, you know, uh, because he uh, doesn't— uh, completely oppose abortion, you know? So I, I guess what I'm saying is um, there, there's just, you get more results when you, when you stir people up that way, you get, you know. Well, but Are we also sort of looking at a situation
0: where actively because of the filibuster, you didn't get very many results overall from the session because all of the time was spent on this one attempt to limit options for a very small subject section of Nebraskans, as opposed to moving through a bigger agenda, so that was worth prioritizing. No, I, I no, not at all, <laughs> not in the least. What's yeah. the re, What's the argument that somebody might make for prioritizing that if it also slowed everything to a crawl? Then it's basically just you generated a lot more headlines than legislation. I, I,
1: I I don't know what drives them. It's kind of what I told you. I think it's money. I think it's support from people with money. I, I think it's the positive, uh, uh, feel that you get from people maybe in your district. If there is, there are no trans people. I mean, a lot of people in Nebraska maybe have not met any trans people, you know, so, or they may have met them and not known they've met them. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it it's the boogeymen that get created in in politics a lot of times. We haven't been that upset about Muslims and terrorists for a while. That was that was you know, um, what four, four six years ago now, and that's kind of faded away. And we got to find new new boogeymen. And I think when we find the new boogeymen, we get people excited about it. We legislate about it.
0: talking with Wes Dodge about takeaways from this year's turbulent legislative session in the unicameral. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can find the backlog of all of our episodes wherever you get podcasts. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a review. Today, I'm talking with Wes Dodge about the turbulent year at Nebraska's Unicameral. What happened? What are the takeaways? What can you do about it? Here's the rest of our conversation. Nationally, if you look at polling, it doesn't seem that limiting health care options for trans people or uh, a lot of what Republicans are doing to limit access to abortion is especially popular with the general populace. Is Nebraska different from that? Are these things Nebraskans want? No,
1: I think it's people not paying attention. You know, I, I – I, uh, occasionally, you can run into. I'm f- I'm from McCook, Nebraska. You know, farm community. You go in the uh, uh, the coffee shop at eight o'clock in the morning, and everybody's sitting around eating donuts and talking about how much rain there was, and you know when they got to get in the field and when they're going to do whatever. But occasionally, you'll you'll hear even those people say, "What the hell are they doing? Wasting all their time on this?" You know, have you really seen that? But I think, as a rule, people don't pay that much attention, and and unfortunately. Um, We've gone from a point, you know, as a representative representative democracy, where you would like to think that the people that you elect are just going to do whatever for your benefit after you've elected them. But I think the people that, that sign the checks and the people that that tell you what you have to do going forward say, really, we need this, this, and this, because we have to be able to show that you've done these things when we when we look for that money in the future, when we address these people, or we'll replace you with somebody that wants to focus on these issues. And in the meantime, I think other things are done, yeah. you know, that 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 trouble me. Like what? Okay. Um, You and I, uh, when we talked, I think last time, and I was telling you what was coming down the pike, I, I mentioned the Constitutional Convention, the National Constitutional Convention. And I felt like our state legislature had... Uh, kind of slipped uh, slipped it by us in a way and what we did was uh... just to reset it a little bit i'm i'm troubled by the it's called an article two convention at any point the, the state legislatures can call an article two convention the problem with that is you can see that there's a lot of big money people that support that position and they they want it to pass so it's like when it passes what do they want at that point point? and if it passes it's the wild west nebraska been trying to pass that for years And then uh, the session before last, uh, they put it out there. It it was somewhat hard fought, and I can't remember what senator it was, but it was a female senator from Lincoln that said, okay, you can get my vote, but you have to put a sunset clause on it. And, And so they did, and they passed it, and it didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, then they somebody introduced a bill this year, and I went down to testify on it to, to let the Constitutional Convention legislation drop that five-year sunset clause. Uh, and as part of my argument before them, I, I said – I feel like they kind of slipped the the original one past us because it was actually voted on in the first week or within the first 10 days of our last legislative session before organizations like Common Cause and Represent Us and all those could kind of say, uh, inform people what was going on. And what they did was the the committee hearings were held about a year ago and they waited to vote on it until the new session started and then they brought it up immediately. And And it felt like a Trojan horse thing to me, like, you know, wow, they just got that through like that. Now this, this one that's still pending, it's it's LR31, I believe, to take the sunset off. They didn't vote on it, but it's still there. And I'm kind of curious if they're going to try to, I, I'm watching to see if in the first two weeks they don't bring that up and try to kill the sunset provision within the two First two weeks. What, what are the implications of this passing? Like, what, what what could they do with that? They they technically could do anything. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's like the 1789 again. I mean, it's a constitutional convention. You can go in, you can throw out things, you can put things in. Um, uh, one of the hot-button issues right now is uh, the 14th Amendment. Uh, you know, if you're if you're American-born, if you're born on American soil, you're an American citizen. Mm-hmm. I could see them bringing that in. You know, maybe they say, maybe you're not, which talk about complicating things. We really have to go through and, like, well, yeah, you were born here, but now we got to look at your genealogy or something like that. Uh, Second Amendment issues, redrafting that. Um, I don't know how much ha- they have to do it right now. It's pretty wide open, but the, I'm sure they would get in there and do that. Uh, There's a gentleman that spoke to the Free Speech Society recently that was a national guy. uh, And he came in to speak to us, and he was talking about term limits. And then about halfway through it, I figured out he's not talking about term limits. He's talking about an Article II convention. Why are we doing it through this guy's? And he he wasn't being clear about it, you know. And it's like another... you know, who's the man behind the curtain? That stuff really bothers me. So I guess it's it's better the devil you know. If you're going to do a constitutional convention, uh, the door is so wide open. Who knows what will happen? And there's a lot of nuttiness going on. And money seems to buy influence and, and get people to do what you want them to do. And if we use the other system where each state has to ratify a specific amendment, that kind of thing, at least you know what you're getting. Right. So in essence I guess I'm afraid of something we don't know what it is but I do know that the people that seem to finance it have done a lot of bad things in the past.
0: What what's the argument that's being made for passing this? Like are they providing hypotheticals where yeah. like, this would
1: be useful? Yeah, I think the biggest argument is we're not getting anything. They they badmouth government and say we're not getting anything done and the only way to get uh, some things done because we don't we we don't amend our constitution as much as i don't think any other country in the world it's really harder to get it done and i think their argument is we can go through and we can clean up all these issues Uh, one of their biggest issues is when we think we want things to happen they don't happen they want them to happen quick yeah uh it's kind of the argument that was made by the legislators uh, when i testified at the committee you know they uh brewer even asked me directly uh you know uh how can we fix these things so that we can get things done quicker? And I said, we can, get, we can get people elected that aren't far right and far left that fight all the time, and we can get people that can figure out what an issue. Something needs to be done with guns. It's embarrassing the way we are in the, in the world with the way, you know, we have people dying on a regular basis, and it's a, it, 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 we're, we're numb to it now. And it's also embarrassing the way we handle our, our health Uh, care situation although it seems like it's a little better lately but uh you know as when you compare us to the world we stink our education is going down we used to be the top now we're are we in the 20s you know like 15 to 25 when you look at how we stack up i remember when i was a kid we were you know top five one or two in most things so um but this this is pretty different from again the priorities
0: of the legislature right because for example Something needs to be done about guns. Didn't they do things to make sure there's more guns in more places? Right. Yeah. And so something like that passes. Does that come from uh, popularity? Or is there like polling on Nebraskans and their thoughts on any of this stuff? Or is it all sort of just you have to assume that the uh, the representatives are talking to the constituents and that that factors into it all and we sort of hope that the system is just doing what it needs to do and it's popular?
1: I think if you polled Nebraskans, a lot of them would be a, a pro, a pretty open to to a wide open view of of gun and ownership rights. Mm-hmm. And again, having grown up in western Nebraska, and this is before everything went as wild, I could walk out of my high school and there would be guns in the racks in the back of the pickups because it was pheasant season. They'd be hanging there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some of them probably weren't locked, you know. I I don't know. Uh, Things that, things have changed, but I think a lot of people that live in those areas, you know, they, they think the people that are running around shooting each other are the bad guys in the big cities, and and uh, we're going to lose that shotgun that we used to go pheasant hunting, or we're going to lose our deer rifle, and they, they make you worried about those things, and they manipulate you, you that, that way, and then... I don't know. I just, I just feel like that's what they use to, to pass other things. They want to fill the, even when you have a good press, they want, they want the press to notice these things that are, are the flavor of the week. And they, uh, in the meantime, they can be running some other stuff that nobody's paying any attention to. Right. So, so, okay. What, what
0: else, what are some of the other things that passed that stood out to you in this session?
1: Um, well, I just focused on the, the pro-democracy types of things and, uh, so I already talked about the voter voter ID thing. Actually, given the fact I didn't think voter ID was necessary, it's a pretty good bill because it's really broad. Um, you can use almost any sort of ID with a picture on it and your name. Uh, you know, any government ID, any ID issued by a, a school in the state of Nebraska, the VA. Uh, if you don't have an ID, you can go to the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles, or, or they can try. They, they would say they're going to make it available. Uh, there would are, that be for free, or would you have to yes, pay for it? It would be for free okay. because they were. Uh, if it wasn't for free, it would be like a poll tax. You right. know, we have to pay some money in order to vote. It's still, so, kind of a poll tax in terms of time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and in other jurisdictions, you know, uh, you could live. You could live. Um, 75 miles away from your DMV and they're only open on Tuesdays from eight to noon or something like that. So yeah, those are, those are big issues. And I, and I hope they, they hit those head on. Um, As far as other bills, uh, LB 20, which was to give felons the right to vote, you know, after they're off paper, that is still pending. Uh, uh, Senator Wayne, that was a big deal for him. I, I hope it passes. I can't think of a reason that you shouldn't be able to vote when you're off paper. You know, you should have all your freedoms back. When I say off paper, off parole, right. off, off right. Uh, probation, in case anybody doesn't know what that means. Um, let's see other things that, that passed. Uh, they uh, This isn't real exciting, but they did uh, pass a bill that says uh, committee hearings and floor debate can be recorded and you can access it. It used to be you had to watch it live.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now you can access it. There was a couple organizations that were... Uh, um, like taping it off the, the live feed. Uh, taping is probably a bad word, but, uh, you know, they were recording, recording the it. stream. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so that you could watch it. And then they were playing it again. But now uh, they've got something passed that said the state will do that. So people, and I think that's important. And uh, we should go ahead and do that. Uh, I already talked about the campaign finance things that Ray Bold passed. That's stuck in committee and probably won't get out. But uh, that's something, I mean, kudos to her. If anybody knows her or sees her, tell her thanks. For you're one of the few trying to do something with campaign finance that could really help us. Uh, but that's bogged down. Um, Let's see. Winner take all. They're trying to do away with our Electoral College Division. Um, That is not out of committee, but it's not dead. I I don't think it'll come through, but they bring it every time. Mm -hmm. Trying to turn our, our unicameral back into a bicameral. Uh, that comes up all the time. Uh, and I think that just creates more, the more people we get involved, it takes us back to what Norris was trying to get away from. I, I would, was joking with people, if you don't like what you're seeing in the unicameral right now, we'd probably just be double on it. But that, we- that, that that's kind of the
0: argument, isn't it? Like we, we could continue to do this. We could double down on it. We can maybe do it more successfully, which is to say uh, majoritarian approaches to legislating.
1: Yeah. Although I would say that, there's a lot of problems in places like ohio and and uh, uh, I think south carolina and and some of these places where it's just it's just a mess because the the bicameral system allows you to have two two ways to create all these roadblocks and then you right. don't get you don't get things done that you should get done.
0: Well, my point uh, though is that the if you're a Republican in the unicameral right now. You want to be able to continue to achieve your agenda, in which case the unicameral is in some ways an impediment to just, you know, the party line.
1: Yeah, you, yeah I, ag- I agree with that. And you think that would impediment would be less if we went to – we added a Senate? Potentially. Yeah. See, I, I think it creates more – more avenues to to create more headaches because you you're, you're going to get uh, you're going to get a couple more people that are that are problematic on the right or the left that are going to want their way or no way, and we're not going to be able to find that consensus and then secondly, uh, I think the outstate people would be more frustrated because if they do it by population that that house is going to have uh, probably a lean towards Lincoln, Omaha, and the more populous areas of the state okay. and diminish the rural uh, power. Because right now they have a little bit more power than proportionately, I don't want to say they should have, but what would be considered equal. You sure. Know? Yeah. It's similar to what ha- ha- goes on nationally. There's more power with rural states than there is, you know, with uh, heavily populated states.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Wes Dodge about takeaways from this year's turbulent legislative session in the Unicameral. What do you want to see from the legislature in its next session? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. So from, from your list uh, that you've been going through, it sounds like a lot of cans are getting kicked down the road as opposed to a lot of big legislative achievements. Is that fair to say? Yes. So what, what, all, what are some of the other things that didn't pass that are notable?
1: I, got, I kind of went through a lot of them, but uh, th- some of them are good. I mean, uh, like I told you, the uh, the unicameral thing and, and that kind of deal. But uh, there was one that appears to be stuck in committee, and I can't remember who brought it, but he, in essence, wanted a videotape of all aspects of the voting process from beginning to end. He wanted cameras in the voting booth. He wanted cameras outside. He wanted cameras as you walked in. He wanted cameras on every single person that that touched a ballot, uh, that kind of thing. And the main thing there is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just cost a huge amount of money. Uh, there were some attempts to kill vote by mail uh, that that uh, uh, are languishing. And I think we have 11 counties in the state that are all vote by mail. So that creates problems because it's the same part of the state that's, that's doing a lot of this uh, being upset about shortening the times you can vote and not being able to do it. Uh, remotely in some way or another that uh, are, are raising a stink. And then there's 11 counties where that's all they do. Um,
0: well, voting's a good one. We, we did a show on that where I talked to somebody um, who had looked at the research who said essentially that there's really no statistical uh, evidence of voter fraud in Nebraska. And so the whole thing is a lot of money spent solving a problem that doesn't seem to exist. Um, but it's a priority, again, because it's what part of the, this national uh, agenda that money filters its way here or cable news says this is a problem. Therefore, it seems like a problem.
1: Yes. And they and it fits into the uh, election denial aspect of things, too. You know, it's like uh, there's all these other things, nefarious things that are going on that are problematic. Uh, just just last week, uh, Sarpy County had to do their their audit of their their votes and figure out if there was anything that went on there. And I think they found two people that might've voted there that, that uh, still didn't live there. They'd moved somewhere outside of it and still gone in and voted. And I think they spent $88,000. Is that, I don't know if you saw it. $88,000 to find and accomplish nothing. And uh, yes, that goes on over and over and over. And uh, and then by the time we're talking about it,
0: unless you have that context, it sounds like okay. Well, they are addressing this problem. They're continuing to figure out the specifics, right? We we lose some of the context, which is uh, that it's rooted in you know nothing.
1: Yeah, and it's rooted in limiting the vote. Right. That's true. And, and my is... yeah my per, my perception is, if if I'm a citizen, if if I'm not a felon at this point in time, and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough, I should be voting. And so should everybody else that meets that criteria. I mean, it's pretty low, low bar, and most people meet it. And, and a, a lot of what people are fighting against, it's a felony, you're going to do some serious time if you get caught on it. And in the history of Nebraska, there's really been no, nobody ever convicted of it. There's some quirky things in like Lexington, uh, years ago, that was something to do with I I can't even remember the finer points of it, but it was pretty benign as a slight misdemeanor. And they don't count it as a violation of this. But uh, two people out of you talk about trans people and how many there are in the United States. There's uh, a lot fewer people who have uh, falsely voted. And yet this dominates a lot of
0: our politics true. Yeah. So I I guess an adjacent issue I see is if Nebraska politics are more or less dominated by cable news talking points or whatever Matt Walsh is crying about today, Mm -hmm. then I don't know, does this conversation, can can you break through that? Or is the media landscape so overwhelming that it's, you know, a show like this, us talking about issues or any of the research that's done by some of the journalistic, uh, local journalistic hubs? You know, there are maybe some Modifications to who to how elections work, right? That's your general solution there. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is just the the media itself. It's not like the way people learn about things. Uh, I don't think that that's going to change drastically. People are not going to go read these 800 page books to try to understand issues. You know, they're busy. They don't they don't want to spend all their day having to understand all of this. But I feel like we've just spent 40 minutes really talking about how there's this huge divorce from what legislation impacts and then the amount of Nebraskans out there and concerns and problems that they have. And that feels kind of insurmountable, don't you think? Um,
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But have, you, have you ever heard the starfish story? They like to tell the starfish story in, in churches. Ever in case heard it? anyone hasn't heard it, let's uh, tell it. Uh. Uh, it's, it's like there's a guy walking on the beach, and there's hundreds of starfish washed up on the beach, and, and he's walking around, and he's picking them up, and he's throwing them back in the water, and somebody walks up and says, there's so many starfish there that, you know, thousands of them are going to die. You know, what you're doing doesn't matter. And then he picks up a starfish and he throws it into the ocean. He says it matters to this one. <laughs> <Okay>. So uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I guess you have to keep fighting. I mean, we've had a lot of fights that have happened in our country that weren't popular. We've had problems. I mean, we, we tend to go the woe is me and everything's terrible all the time. But let, if we go back 100 years, they were worse. I mean, uh, gosh, we're, we're on the border, but I mean, almost 100 years ago, women couldn't vote. We're in a better spot that now than we are we were then, but we still do the woe is me aspect of things. But it does have to get better. And we're not having people um, run us in a way that uh, is, is helping the most people. And my biggest fear, I mean, you, you talk about the nuts and bolts of daily things. My biggest fear is a lot of these people are anti-democratic, and my biggest fear is if enough of these anti-democratic people get elected, we are in a world of hurt because we're, we'll we'll start being like Hungary in some of these uh, countries that are starting to push towards authoritarianism uh, that still has kind of a, a demo- democratic fallacy behind it, you know. And, and uh, I think we're getting closer to that. I think we kind of dodged a bullet a little while ago, but it's still there. Uh, the Supreme Court is problematic because even in the uh, – um, the, the, the uh, independent legislative, uh, uh, I can't remember the terminology exactly, but it was going to give the legislature the ability to award electoral counts. That, that case was successful, but there's language within it that's dangerous. If you look at it, it kind of still leaves the door open for people to do things. So uh, Ohio right now, you know, we have a ballot initiative, in a couple of weeks, Ohio is doing a special election just on ballot initiatives to say you don't have to get 50% to put something on the ballot. Now you have to get 60%. So they're going to have to have enough people show up in Ohio to vote to still say that the 50% cutoff is okay. So they're trying to create a situation where you have to have a super majority of people to get something on the ballot. Which is That's an anti-democratic.
0: Attempt, it's an attempt to reduce ballot initiatives. Yeah, from passing. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and to take more power away from the individual voter the individual citizen so we have to show people those things uh... you can actually get on some websites and things and send some emails and communicate with people in ohio and say go out and vote you know make sure you still have these rights why should we take them away uh... we got the people now on the uh, um, the uh, opportunity scholarship a ballot initiative and and the people that that spent all their time on the floor of the legislature saying everybody wants this that's why we're doing it everybody wants it those same people are now saying we got this outside money spending uh, spending to make sure people can't sign this petition to put it on the ballot well if everybody wants it why are you afraid of it being on the ballot we'll put it on the ballot it'll pass right you know democracy
0: as we wrap up then, if you can make a few predictions, what what do you anticipate next year's legislative session looking like? Is it a lot of the same? Are we stuck in filibusters? Do things get done? What's the priority? I,
1: I'm, uh, I'm probably with you there. I'm, I'm not optimistic on that. I'm, kind, I'm hoping that people – watch this last session and watch this next session and they look at what their legislators are doing and they decide, do I really want that person representing me? Do I really want that person that creates all this acrimony and and helps us not move forward on things that we should move forward? And then we get some good people that run. I wish we had, I wish our legislators got paid better. You know, uh, there, I think there'd be better people uh, running if you could make twenty six thousand a year instead of twelve thousand a year. Um, you know, I'd like to see those things happen, but I, I guess I'm negative in the short term. But I'm hoping that enough people see how bad things are that it, that we can we can get the pendulum to swing the other way. And then another thing I wanted to bring up, which I think. Um, you and I talked about a little bit before we we went live with this, was uh, there is the opportunity potentially coming up for open primaries. And uh, I'm hoping that there's a ballot initiative that comes around the corner in the next several months that says we want open primaries and for people you you kept talking about what the parties want if we have open primaries it'd be similar to what california uh, does right now and and that tends to get people fired (laughs) up but yeah uh, um, california was a disaster in about 2008 it was going bankrupt the infrastructure was bad Um, it was just an absolute mess. public polling Uh, had the uh, support of the California legislature at 14%. I don't know how you can get that low, but 14% of the people liked um, the California legislature. They they adopted an open primary top two system. And uh, after that was adopted, they started passing budgets, the infrastructure improved, the debt was paid off, the economy improved. And, and now the uh, California legislature um, polls in the 80s. I think it's like 83% positive since they've had open primaries. Uh, if we can get open primaries here, right now, um, 20 about 24% of our population is independent, is registered as an independent. And when you throw in the, the marijuana party and the libertarian party, that gets us up to almost a third of our population that can't really participate at the primary level right now. So we're we're in essence disenfranchising people. You talk about voter ID, in essence they don't have their voter ID. They can't really vote in the, in the elections that matter. So if we go open primaries, those people will be able to compete um, Twenty about twenty two to twenty five percent of all of our legislative seats this last time around didn't have uh, didn't have any competition, so if you use open primaries and uh, have it be nonpartisan, uh, that in, in California especially that's meant to competitive elections all the time, and when you use the top two, they have a general election. Right. You know because if you win the Republican election uh, primary in in May, you still have somebody to fight with and try to convince people that you're the more reasonable person that may, may help with taxes, may help with property, uh, tax issues with school and education issues with those things that we really worry about broadband outstate, um, if there's two people running, who's going to be helping us get that, get that done? So maybe we can do that. So I'm really optimistic. I hope people keep their eyes open for a, a open primary a ballot initiative. And, and I just want, if, if this is the first time you've heard of it, just keep your ears open for that kind of thing. Of course, I still like ranked choice voting, but you have to uh, you have to, you know. Do what you can. I mean, throw that single starfish out there, right. I guess, is the, is the connection there.
0: I think that's a good note for us to end on. So thank you for coming back on the show and walking us through all of this and throwing some optimism out there. Okay,
1: you're welcome. I hope to come back again.
0: Riverside Chance is a production of KIOS 915 FM Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by the real Zebos, and our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.